The House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery on KCAA 106.5 FM, Los Angeles. I'm Al Warren, and I've got Mr. Michael Hawley here. How are you doing, Mike? Great. How are you doing, Al? Well, you know, I'm surviving. It's been a rough week already, and what is it, only Tuesday? Yeah, your cold sounds worse, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. Comes and it goes, comes and it goes, you know, something mm. going on. Someone put a spell on me. Speaking of spells, we got the uh, black magic guy here. So um, let's let's have a – he's got a new book um, called Livewire, and it's not about Motley Crue. <laughs> Kyle Toucher, thank you for being here. Sure, you bet. Yeah, I know the uh... – the other day we were in the car and the song Livewire came on and, you know, there's that awesome riff in it. And uh, I thought, well, you know, if someone gives me 80 mil for the film, maybe we'll use the song somewhere on the end crawl. That's so, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. You got to you got to look, you know, 10 moves down the road on that kind of thing. Always. But uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I've uh, you know, it's just my first published novel at a at the ripe age that I am these days. And it's uh, it's exciting to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, what made you get into writing a novel? Like why? Why go there now um, from from all the work you're doing before? Well, I've always written off and on since I was a kid. I mean, with uh, I remember like second, third grade with other kids in school. We were writing stories about the banana man and, you know, the cake people, and they'd come down and have these wars. Because at the time, this is early 70s, Godzilla movies were constantly on KTLA 5 in Los Angeles. And in those days, they'd rerun the same movie all week. So we'd all see the same Godzilla movie and King Ghidra and War of the Gargantuas and Gamera the Invincible, whatever it was. And uh, so we started writing Godzilla stories, and I got really into it. And... (laughs) I'd start rewriting the Godzilla stories because I couldn't understand why an eight-year-old would have access to the generals. You know, Gamera's a friendly monster. You're eight. You're in a baseball cap. I'm in a field tent. What are you doing here? You know, so I'd rewrite them with more cataclysmic events. And um, But I was always kind of attracted to that. And then as I got older, uh, I wanted to be the guy in the Godzilla suit or the guy building the miniatures. You know, I thought, wow, that'd be neat. And I had no idea how to ever achieve that. Then Black Sabbath happened to me, and uh, once I heard Volume 4, and I heard what electric guitars could sound like that, it was a perfect, it it all meshed together. They're all related, you know. If you hear music in those early Japanese films, you can listen to it. I mean, tell me those aren't Sabbath riffs. Those big (laughs) trombones going, that's true. Full Tony Iommi, right? Except he's not tuned down to C-sharp. So I was always kind of just attracted to that whole era of that. When I was a kid, I wanted to be the guy in the Godzilla suit. So uh, in middle portion of my life, I ended up in the VFX trade. And uh, when I was a teenager, I discovered all the rock and roll and the Sabbath and the Floyd and the Zeppelin. And then the Ramones and the Pistols and all that stuff came out simultaneously. And uh, so I did that. And then the last thing I did, I circled back to writing stories now that I'm 60. I made it out alive. Made it out alive. Yeah, I'm 60 now. You're talking talking to two other 60-year-olds, so that's perfect. Look at us all born in here of the tiger. We're the triad. (laughs) That's right. I of the Pfizer. Yeah, the old old men. You know, most people listening, too, won't know any of the bands you named anyway. No. 
mean, <laughs> they sure. won't. You can say Ozzy, and they might because of oh. Sharon. Yeah, Osborne yeah, you know, because I love Sharon. You know, yeah, right. because of that, and they had that show for a while, right? So he's kind of right. got a little notoriety. But the uh, most of the other bands, I don't think people really, really know. I, mm. I think it, it's it, you forget. You know, time yeah. goes by, and and it kind of it's it, you know these old when you were watching all those uh, Godzillas and stuff too. You're right. A lot of them are really corny. Uh, oh, I never thought about detail. Yeah. But that that was kind of the style, right? In a, in a sense, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't it just all about um, I don't know, just the suspense, the terror. It wasn't like people mm-hmm. were just focused on that really phony guy in the suit, right? And and everyone running, and it didn't matter that it was stupid. It was okay. It was still good. Well, it was the only way to achieve shots like that at the time, too. So, you know, you couldn't get scale any other way unless you went with stop motion and miniatures. Well, it was miniatures either way, unless you went with stop motion, but you wouldn't have any motion book. So it was never going to look right. You know, Ray Harryhausen, Willis O'Brien. Yeah, Willis O'Brien did Kong in the 30s. His protege was Ray Harryhausen, who went on to do the Sinbad films and all that that you might remember. So <clears throat> all that stop motion animation, you move the puppet a frame, the frame, the frame. Yeah. And... uh it looks cool. You can really get down into the rabbit hole with some weird-looking creatures, but it'll never look. Your eye will know that the motion isn't natural, you know. Yeah. And uh, so those are the, really the only two ways you could do it until CG came along, honestly. Or when Phil Tippett developed Go Motion for uh, uh, Dragon Slayer. So now we're going to go down the VFX rabbit hole if you want to do that. But. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, but this is it's, it's interesting that um, how that that's kind of what people were watching and viewing. Oh yeah, that's and all they, there was. And, and everyone accepted it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and now and now it's you see it on Sven Gulli or or Mystery Science Theater, like they show right, the old movies of it, right? and they kind of make fun of you know, add things to it, which is kinda of cool. But right. Well that's like looking at George Melier, the he was the guy who actually invented double exposure and visual effects and all this stuff back in the late eighteen hundreds into the early twentieth century. French guy. Made it, yeah, you've heard of a movie from 1902 called A Trip to the Moon, where they oh, shoot yes. a uh, projectile into the eye of the man in the booth. That's George Melier. Oh. And, uh, you know, someone had to be first. And so, you know, these people laid down this groundwork for everything you see today. So take a look at Frankenstein from 31 or what, uh, or the Bride of Frankenstein from 35, all James Wales early stuff. Look at the German expressionist stuff in there, you know, from Murnau and, um, oh God! Who directed Metropolis? Fritz Lang. Right. So but you look were, at those movies, you could see where everything came from. But but then you know they had they had the substance, but because they had the writing, like Frankenstein, Dracula, and stuff like that. The 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 books had the substance. They were incredible. They were really yes. Dracula is a far better novel than Frankenstein. Yes. Yeah, but yes. it's still really it's still pretty incredible. Like uh, you know, I've been listening to it lately too. I kind of really re-listen to some of these, and. Um, the writing is fantastic, and I, I don't know that it's important today, like in, in a lot of books. Um, oh, I mean, there's still stuff that's very well written. There's TV stuff that's really well written. You know, I mean, look at, it was a few years ago, but God, look at Deadwood. You can't touch that writing. Right, yeah, that was good. You know, look at the writing in the first season of True Detective. You can't even, you can't come near that. Right. You know, so yeah. there's still, you know, writers that can put out, Great books, you know. I mean, I mean, let's look at King for an, as an example. I mean, I'm influenced by him. I was reading him when I was young. I read Lovecraft. I read Blatty. Yeah. Um, and King and Clyde Barker and stuff. I got mostly. 
<clears throat> when I was really absorbing, you know, adult horror fiction, yeah. you know, after I got out of my Mad Magazine stage. Right? <laughs> I'm still Which is it. good. I like those. <laughs> oh, God, they were great. The Exorcist Horror Fang. Yeah, mad and cracked. I'm still. Oh, yeah. Is crack still around? No, but oh. it just it was just there at the time in the 70s, right. you know. But, you know, I loved Don Martin and Aragonis and all these guys and, you know, and uh, probably helped shape my acerbic sense of humor, maybe. Yeah. But <laughs> but when I was about 13, I read The Exorcist, and I wasn't allowed to see the movie, of course, but my parents were avid readers, so everything was in the house. And, uh, I mean, in those days, they were reading Herman Wook and Mickner and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And uh, But I read The Exorcist at really young, and I didn't know, you know, you could do things like that in a book, you know. <laughs> yeah, that and opened was, up the doors. Oh, yeah. Oh, bigger in Dallas. And uh, Legion came out a few years later. You know, by then I'd already seen the film. And, of course, I had, you know, what's his name in mind? Uh, Joseph Cotton. Not Joseph Cotton. Who played Kinderman in the film? I can't yeah, remember. I remember stuff like that. Yeah. yeah um, but anyway, well, it was George C. Scott because that actor was dead. So George C. Scott played him in Legion, played him in the sequel. And it was just, uh, I, I love the fact that the dialogue was cool, was snappy. A lot of it was funny. Because Blatty was actually a comedy writer, you know, he worked with Blake Edwards a lot in the old right. days. For those yeah. of you in the back of the theater, uh, Blake Edwards. <laughs> you know, yeah, Blake. Yeah. Uh, now, Live Wire here, your book. Um, now, you talk about uh, black magic and, and, and things like that. When, you, when you're putting together a book like this, do you take already kind of um, – established sort of magic and everything that's going on mm -hmm. in other people's work or do you oh, create I see your what own? You mean. Yeah, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Are you taking yeah. established like you know, it's like when people have, you know, a vampire in their book, are they taking the kind of the 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 normal of what people generally think, you know, the cross and mm -hmm. the sun and all that stuff? Or are you going right. on your own when you create this sort of a world? Uh well this this thing came out of it from a uh, kind of a there was an obtuse angle actually to get to the black magic thing. But the idea of black magic can be high tech. What could go wrong? That's the uh, tagline on the back of the book. And uh, <clears throat> when you think about it, you know, uh, what who uh, did Arthur C. Clarke say that uh, high technology is indistinguishable from magic? So what it is, is it, this story is kind of complex, but I didn't, they, you know, you don't see people in a, in a ritual doing ooga booga in robes with swords and, oh, you know, okay. speaking Latin with a teenager tied to a oh my and submarine or whatever it is. I mean, you know, there's none of that. Oh. But uh, it is heavily implied that there is a serious occult thing going on simultaneous to a very large high-tech operation at the very large array, which is a, a real thing, which is an array of radio telescopes in Socorro, New Mexico. Right. So under the guise that they're trying to perhaps harvest some type of God particle from a, uh, a CME, which is a coronal mass ejection, when the sun burps out all this plasma. Um, so the science of the tech and it's a little wacky and everything, but it's uh, the idea is to is to, to be in the story so hard that you're not going to sit here and go to some physics book and look things up. Right. Right. And so, but it's heavily implied that our people in our book can see something going on in this black tent that's adjacent to the control room where this uh, thing at a radio observatory is going on. A storm suddenly uh, appears out of nowhere, a cyclonic storm, 
almost like a hurricane or a cyclone in the middle of the desert, which is, of course, physically impossible because those have to form over water, you know, and uh, then we're then we're off to the races. <laughs> and so basically to, to not give away too much there, uh, there's something that's certainly summoned through this. And when it all gets terribly out of control, they, you know, in a panic, they tried to pull the plug on Skynet. Right. Right. And, right. Um, <clears throat> when in yeah. doubt, unplug. <laughs> when in doubt, yeah, just unplug and run. Well, I and, like uh, the, uh, the name of Medusa engineering corporation. That sounds pretty perfect. You know, Medusa Engineering is a cover for the Medusa cult, and the uh, so that's also explained in there too. But I don't want to again. I don't want to give away too much because I just did. And uh, so, well, does, it, does everyone die at the end? How's that? There's uh, there's some there's some bloodletting. There's uh, there's AC-130 Spectre gunships. Uh, there's uh, huge auto crashes. And but one of the focal points of the action in, in the book is that this. Um, let's say, entity or force that is summoned through the VLA, uh, when they try to pull a plug, it escapes, uh, and the only thing available to it. And that happens to be an electrical substation four or five miles down the road. So basically, this thing ends up in the power grid. And um, part of that, as this energy or uh, entity is uh, expanding, the uh, high-tension towers along the road uproot themselves and begin to move. So if you've ever been in these, you know, in these highways, you see these 100-foot electrical transmission towers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So imagine those things on the march. And uh, wackiness ensues. How about that Ken Lightfeather? Is he going to be shooting that 44 all over the place? Well, you know, don't show a gun and not pull it. (laughs) True. You know, and so Ken Lightfeather is a... uh, He's a Native American trucker who uh, is friends with Otis Thompson, our proprietor of our gas station, where we find this conglomeration of people who are have to pull off the road because the storm, summoned by the experiment, is so severe that they, they have to get off the road. And then, of course, they find themselves surrounded by marauding towers. And it's, uh, you know, there's no Internet, there's no cell phones, the power's out, you are cut off. On top of compounding that issue is that... The because this thing is in the electrical grid, it also it, within the electrical grid, it also emits something called the signal. And if you are susceptible to it, because this entity is of a malevolent nature, it gets inside you, roots around like a giant in your sock drawer, um, harvesting your guilt and your shame. And so you get to yeah, so you get to relive all that. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, so, I, what do you want people to get out of the book? Like when you when you put this together, are you are you looking at um, pure entertainment, satire, yes. fun? Yes. Um, pure entertainment. I mean, it, it should just be kind of a, a fun. Uh, you know, I mean, there's some humor in it. It isn't a you know a pants down wacky ride, but it right. uh, there's. I think there should be moments in it of of, of tension, of of scale, large scale action, and there's sure there's hopefully some comic moments in there as well. I mean, you know, it's not Pratt Falls and clown cars, but um, although that would be funny, the it's mostly it's it's just a high entertainment thing. If there's you know if you think there's social commentary in it, well, I guess that's up to you. You know, it's uh, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to preach anybody. I want you to read eighty thousand words and have a great time with it, and I want a movie to be playing in your head. You know, like an AC one thirty blasting everything. 
Yeah, you know, I think you should see it in a nice 240 with a nice tobacco grad on it for the day scenes, you know. <laughs> Imagine if Tony Scott shot this, you know. And uh, and that's the that's the goal, really. It's just to be entertained by it. So when you put it down, you go, that was wild, you know. Hopefully, while you are reading it, you'll be able to, you know, you'll want to turn the page and find out where we're going. So with Medusa Engineering Corporation, there's also a very bad cat involved in that. Yeah, with him too, and uh, by the name of Herman Jenks. Now, this whole thing, what they're up to here, is a thread that permeates all my fiction. Um, this Medusa engineering, the Medusa cult. Sometimes this Jenks guys appears. So there's a bunch of recurring things that weave through it. But Livewire is a great primer to get you into the whole uh, fictional world that comes with it. Oh, okay. When you when you were writing this, were you? Um... How did you, how did you attack this? Like, how did you start it with with characters, or was it the idea and then you placed characters into it? Yeah, is that kind yeah. of how it went? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of what if, you know? Uh, it originally started as a as a <clears throat> short story about 1985 or six. We were on the road. My band was on the road, and I was a kid. And we we're going through the desert. I mean, a kid. I was 24 or whatever, and uh, I was looking at all the high tension towers. I go, God, imagine those things walking around, you know, and just being trapped somewhere and being gripped by that and uh so when we got home i wrote i wrote the first first time i wrote the story wrote it a couple times in the early 90s i think i cracked it open again and started adding different components well why is it happening what else could be going on is there sinister intent and so the bones of that of that second version ended up being the template for expanding it into a novel when i uh when i'd lived longer for one you know i was 35 years older and I'd live longer, so it was a lot easier to write coherent people. And uh, I had all the time in the world because it was during uh, everybody was in the middle of COVID hysteria, and uh, I had nothing but time. Yeah, I guess that sort of helps. It's it's the perfect mood setting too, right? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, I, if you like women screaming at you in the grocery store, I guess. But the, uh, <laughs> well, it was. No, it's tension, right? It's it's yeah. about the feeling, the emotion. <laughs> there you are. There you are. It's great. You know, my uh, would I I would I prior to sitting down and writing Livewire, I wrote a novel before that. So with all this time that we had off, it was, I just finished nineteen months on Top Gun Maverick. I was going to take a couple months off anyway. All this started to go down. I said, I got nothing at the time, right? There's helicopter money falling out of the sky, plus everything was everything was fine anyway. So I just sat out there, humidor was full, and just uh, started going at it. And <clears throat> wrote three drafts, of the, started sending those to beta readers, got a little feedback, then hired an editor and did the whole thing, you know, properly, because I'd never published a novel before. And I uh, had no idea how to go about doing that. But luckily, Crystal Lake Publishing, who is putting out this book, they're a uh, publisher located in South Africa. Uh, they were publishing my short stuff on this Patreon series they have, which a lot of those stories also tie into the entire mythos that's uh, carried through Livewire. How do, you, how do you come up with your characters? How do you create them? Like, do you have? It's it's quite a bit different than writing something like a, a movie, like script writing. Well, I guess, you know, I mean, with script writing is, you know, it's, it's you know, there's kind of an LCD, and it's kind of a lowest common denominator, I think, going right. into some of that, if you've read scripts, you know. And, uh, but it, just that kind of, that, that style, that kind of prose has always kind of been easy for me. And if you've lived long enough, you just know how people talk, how they, you know, what they do in between sentences, 
facial tics, you know, just, I don't know. You just, it kind of just comes. Yeah. I don't sit there and whinge about, well, how would the, unless I'm in the rewrite stage, well, would a 12 year old say that, you know, yeah. those kind of things. And yeah, sometimes I, I usually overwrite, of course, in the, in the first drafts, I'll be, you know, there'll be three adjectives in a row and I go, when I swing back through, I'm going to have to pick one. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing and excising prepositional phrases and cutting out the adverbs and consolidating and all that. That stuff's actually fun, you know. Well, Kyle, you have uh, a lot of, uh, as you said, a lot of science in there, so you must have done a lot of research as well. Uh, I'm, I have the IQ of a dishwasher. And I, uh, I don't mean a guy who washes dishes in a restaurant. I mean a, a, a Frigidaire dishwasher. I just, if it sounds plausible... You know, I'm not Jim Cameron. I'm not going to go, you know, do 18 years of research before I, you know, and of course I don't have the money. I just, I mean, you know, I guess I kind of like tech stuff and science and that's fine. But uh, it's uh, as long as it seems plausible, right? And uh, Tom Clancy said, real life doesn't have to make sense, but fiction does. And, uh, you know, he wrote huge, expansive books about military and all this stuff. I mean, he was a researcher at the wazoo, you know. So, again, I just want it to sound plausible. Could it happen? You know, I mean, sure, yes, I know where the VLA is, and yes, there's a solar observatory down the road, and there's a town called Magdalena nearby. Sure, you know, there was a, a level of research in that, but I didn't, you know, start calling astronomers. And, uh, you know, why would you use a radio telescope to look at the sun? It doesn't even make sense. But it works in the context of the story. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear about it, right? I mean, nowadays it's easy to get. Oh, there'll, there'll be someone on the internet going, you know, clearly as, you know, it's yeah. like a, like a Star Trek nerd getting all under the hood if you, uh. Yeah, because there's, there's been kind of a, uh, a surge, I know, in the last year, a couple of years maybe about, you know, the hard science fiction people. Mm. And they're real extreme and, um, pretty serious yeah. too when you interview them. They're so detailed. And you know, I've never read any really super hard, like, cyberpunk or, you know, hard science fiction and stuff. This, this thing, like, Livewire would have my elevator pitch, or just if someone says, what's your book about? You know, I'll tell them, I'll go, imagine Stephen King and Michael Crichton on a lunchtime bender. And this is what they came up with. Well, yeah, and, and it won't let you that, the hard science fiction. There's a point where it's too much information, too, right? Yes. It starts yeah. to read like a uh, a book, like a science book. Like yeah, and that's yeah, and then you asked earlier what the goal. I think the goal is is just to to, to be a, a cool story to read where extremely crazy, outrageous things happen, and we go through it together to the to the very end. You know. Yeah. And so, uh, who in your life did you kill off in the book? Pardon me. <laughs> who, who, who who do you know in your life that you actually put in the book and had them tortured or killed? Oh, I've got. <laughs> No, I'm I'm actually normal. I don't do that. Oh, come on. So, yeah, and uh, I'm not working out my my rage. I'm not doing any of that, you know. But there there's a lot of the part of the thing that that is in the book that these people are grappling with is, which is something that a lot of people do grapple with as they get older, is that these uh, these hard feelings that are harvested in them from the signal are about their shattered relationships with their spouses or their wives or their children or whomever. Because that's what really matters in life is your relationships with everybody else, you know, because that's where most um, 
that's the word I'm looking for. That's when more self-doubt occurs, you know, right? It's just because it's, it's based on, the, it's all relationship-based. <clears throat> so that is the crux of the thing that's torturing these people while they're in the middle of this absolutely impossible situation, you know. And so in the middle of all that, it's like someone nagging you about taking the trash out while there's a gunfight going on in your driveway, you know. Yeah. Well, it's important. Take the trash out. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, there's live fire on the driveway. Sorry, honey. <laughs> well, smell the cat out when it's done. Yeah. You know, either that or, you know, yeah, it'd be a shame to have to, you know, bring a scatter gun just to take the trash out in the night. So in those things, it's not there's not, you know, buried malevolence or anything like that. But, you know, there's a little piece of, of every author, I think, in every character. You've got to be in it. You you yourself will be part of all the characters in a sense. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the characters is a, is a uh, you know, he's a guitar player whose band got torpedoed by a bad power ballad. So he and his son are headed off to Austin to start a new life. And, of course, the desert has other plans. Is that Pale Brody? Pale Brody, yes, okay. is his name, and uh, so he was in a like a successful kind of semi-successful hair band, and uh, they put out a power ballad that just destroyed him, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so that's kind of his backstory. So he's kind of dealing with that, and uh, but at the same time, his uh, his his marriage went into cardiac arrest. He thinks it's from the fact that he couldn't provide the rock star life and the jet set and all that, and that she was vapid and she left him for it. But, of course, uh, we find perhaps that is not the case, and uh, which is directly related to his, his son. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot under the hood with all the characters in the midst of all this absolute huge-scale chaos that's going on around them. So it's the macro and the micro together like that, you know, so with kind of a little, with a little sci-fi boost behind it, so... What's your plan with this? Are you, do you want to go into a whole series of books? <laughs> I don't know if enough people live through the book for that. But well, the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's always easy to bring it back. You know. That's right. Or nowadays, <laughs> write the prequel. You know, it's some. Oh yeah. You know. Well, actually, there have been a couple of prequel stories on uh, for for uh, Crystal Lake's Patreon thing. I wrote a set up stories of getting people to where they are in the story, but the. Uh, well, the whole thread of, uh, of Medusa Engineering and what their ultimate goal is in the world is explored in a lot of other things that I have, some of which, a couple of which are published, some of which are not. And because uh, I've only been at this for a couple of years, taking it very, taking it as seriously as I am now. So there's, uh, I mean, there's a million and a half words of stuff crammed onto this hard drive. So uh, I'd love to see this uh, take off. I mean, you know, is it going to be the next, uh, you know, Avatar, probably not, but uh, it, it'd be nice to have some visibility, have people get behind it, you know, and uh, since I've been a visual effects artist for a long time, you know, I was on the Battlestar Galactica team for 10 years, I was all part of Firefly and Serenity, Star Trek Voyager, like I said, I just I did 19 months on, on Maverick, uh, part of the previous team, we did the, we set up the flight sequences in CG before they flew them, and we did the post-vis, and we did the first whack of all the visual effects shots to make sure they looked good enough for screenings, you know. So but I've been around action sequences. I've been around things that fly and things blowing up and all that for a long time. And uh, I think that kind of helped with uh, the pacing and the, uh, and, the, um, and the intensity of the action sequences in the book, too.
Yeah, I would imagine that's got a big influence mm-hmm. in how you write it. Yeah, I mean, I'm shooting it while I'm writing it, too. You know, I can see it, you know. Yeah. But it's not written like a movie script at all. all right, so you're not doing a screenplay as well, or are you going to? <clears throat> oh, look, if, uh, you know, if somebody optioned it and asked me to do it, you bet I'd do it. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. I'd post up in some room somewhere, and, you know, I'd, lo- I'd love to do it. You know, but I, I can't invest the months in that right now while I have other things going. Yeah. What do you like hey, better, short stories or doing the, the full book? Which, which You know, book? it's, it's, uh, Livewire started originally as like a 25 page story. And, uh, as this version of it kept growing, once I got past about 40,000 words, I thought, mm, well, I guess we're going to be a novel, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't really know how long it was going to be because there was, I was going into so much more detail with, with characters and, you know, expanding some of the, uh, the incidents, of course, too. And, uh, short stuff's fine, but I, I find that I, I, I'm better with things that are longer. You know, it's, it's, as you can tell by this rambling conversation, it's, uh, <laughs> it's harder for me to be concise. Yeah, well, I mean, the short stories, it's, it, you, you have to get the, um, the, the main points of the characters across in fewer words. Oh, yeah. Like they, you know, a friend of mine yeah. described it as, uh, you know, a novel is a train trip, you know, where you're sitting in the car and looking at the countryside and letting it all unfold. You know, short stories being in the express train, you know, trying to get from 33rd Street to 58th. You know, yeah. it's just nothing but trip, nothing but story. And there, that's a cool discipline, and it is fun to do, and I do like doing it, you know. And uh, because you can pack a lot into it if you do it correctly. And there are people who are masterful at it, you know. Maybe we'll get there one day. Did your yeah. beta readers really help you out? You know, they do. And in, in fact, uh, a couple of a couple of them are writers, so I got I got the kind of the forensic input too, which was great. You okay. know, and other people are people I've known thirty years. Oh, that was great. That was cool. And all, all that's nice, you know, but, but they would ask me, well, how come this character, you know, I don't get what happened here. I need to hear that. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he should be doing A, B or C instead, you know, so I'll, have, I'll take that and I'll take that to, uh, to heart when I rewrite it. And then of course, once it gets to an editor and you start getting really forensic with it to the point of a line edit and notes in the margins and the whole thing. And yeah. I remember uh, the editor told me when I was writing one of my fiction novels that I uh, head hop too much, as in uh, I'm going to the point of view of too many people, and it kind of gets the reader exhausted. So instead of – so I just had to reduce those numbers, so – yeah, I do some of that in this book. I know that, and uh, and there's <clears throat> there's one particular scene in it where everybody's being affected by this signal at the same time, you know. And I go, I can't jump into head. I can't jump in from head to head. I have to put them in little subsections. You know, right. even I got confused. You know, <laughs> and I wrote the bloody thing, and uh, so. But that's why you go through four drafts and a polish and or whatever it takes, right? Yeah. And, uh, what, what makes a good book to you? Like when you, what what is a good book to you? To me, a good book is when I'm reading it and uh, I find myself nodding off and I go, "Oh God, I got to get through this page," <laughs> you know. <laughs> or or you're <clears throat> you reading it, oh my God, I just I just blew through 45 pages and I didn't even realize it. You know, that's when you know that's when you know it's smooth and it's effortless. 
you know, that's a good writer and a good editor, you know, and uh, just working together. It's really good. It's great storytelling. You know, yeah. a good movie's the same way, right? You know? Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people ba- bashed on, like, Return of the King or whatever for being three and a half hours. But I always, th- I actually thought the extended version was better, you know? It it felt, it didn't feel that long, but uh, I just thought it was great storytelling, you know? And, well, it's uh, kind of like reading the book because the book is so long, but that's why I like the book because it got into so much cool detail that the yeah, movies couldn't do. Yeah. And, you know, there's stuff in the Tolkien stuff I just couldn't get through. I'm just, I don't know, I'm just not wired for it, you know? And I just couldn't get through it. I couldn't never get through Dune either, you know? But well, I, I like Dune one, one, but the rest of them I didn't like, just the first yeah. one. Did you read the Hyperion stuff? Did you read Dan Simmons' uh, Hyperion books? No. Uh, oh, oh man. Oh, first one was so good. And uh, there's Hyperion, Fall of Hyperion, Endymion, and I think the rise of Endymion. And, so I'm uh, gonna read. I'm gonna read Livewire first, and then go to the Hyperion. <laughs> like, yeah, you're more welcome you to read Livewire first. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can do. In fact, you could do. Uh, you could do readings and interpretive dance simultaneously. <laughs> well, there you go. Go yeah, on. You can do, I'm an AC-130 Spectre gunship. You know? <laughs> Hear me roar. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm empowered. What makes a good book to me is is really is, is the I mean I love the fact that if I find out things I didn't know because if it's a real research author that's great. I just like a really well done story where I get lost in it and I lose track of time. That's when I know it's really good. You know. Yeah. And anything's like that. Anything like anything that is superior is like that. You ever been to dinner with someone and you end up running your mouth for three and a half hours and you have a two hundred eighty dollar bar tab? <laughs> they did it. That worked. <laughs> yeah. That means wow, I guess we were onto something. Right? So where and, do you see uh, yourself going now? Like what's gonna happen? I mean you don't know how it'll go, but what right. what are you doing now? Are you are you working on something else or are you just... I am. Right now I'm doing a uh so before Livewire comes out, um, I did a novella called Life Returns. Now, the band I was in called Dr. No was a kind of a punk rock metal hybrid thing. And we had a tune called Life Returns that had kind of a supernatural theme in it. You know, revenge from the grave, Aunt Mary, you know, Uncle John comes back from the dead and, you know, because Aunt Mary killed him. It's kind of the gist of the song. I go, well, what if we take that story as a way to bridge the gap between fans of what I did in my 20s into what I'm doing at 60. So why don't I take this story they're familiar with and wedge it into the, the same universe I just told you about in which Livewire takes place, and uh, which takes place in Walpurgis County, which is a very haunted place I've written about extensively. And, and there's twists and turns, and maybe not exactly the way you think it's presented in the tune, plus there's lines from the uh, song, of course, in the prose throughout the thing. And it turned out being like a 75-page novella at the end of it. That went to beta readers and everything, too. And the idea is that a couple weeks before Live Wire comes out is going to be a freebie uh, ebook or PDF download from kyledoucher.com. And hopefully it'll serve as kind of a little, like, a, like an intro, like a little, uh, you know, like an appetizer before we go to the main event. Right. So the idea is that I'd like to uh, – pull fans of the band with me along on on this venture in, in this stage of my life. So why am I writing now, you asked earlier, because I can do this till I'm 85. 
Well, there right? you go. <laughs> you know, or 90 or however long I got, you know. Right. And um, everybody gets talents. You know, everyone's issued, you know, as you're waiting to be born, you're standing in line and they hand you out the little scroll that God wrote out for you. Here's your talents. You're a mathematician. You're great at making shoes. You know, you're going to be the best, you know. Beer drinker. Yeah, beer drinker. That's me. That's me. <laughs> or geophysicist. My, me? Make up crazy shit. How dare you? That's what I ended up with. And uh, I've been very, very lucky, very blessed to be able to, to do that and find ways to make a living at it. You know, I've dug ditches and I've mopped urine. I've done all that stuff, you know, but I've been very fortunate in the back half of my life. Especially and That's just what you do at home. Yeah, yeah, and that's just hanging out, and that's just hanging out at the Seven Eleven. And uh, <laughs> drop your slurpee; I want to mop it up. Yeah. And uh, so I've been very fortunate in the back half of my life to be able to do that and to be able to use that, and uh, it all kind of converges now. So the the music career, the VFX thing, what I'm writing now, all of it is kind of in this, uh, you know, this what is it? The guy in Blazing Saddles, you know. Yeah. Cascading down into a pool of creative alternatives. And it's just a, uh, I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. So the Life Returns ebook named after the song of the same name is a full on horror, full on horror story. And, uh, no weird science or anything like that, but it's, you know, there's occult stuff in it and all that and coming back from the dead and homicide and, you know, the spooky house and you know, the whole bit. And, uh, that'll be available, I'm hoping within the next week or so. So I think the ebook forty nine, oh, okay. and so that'll uh, that'll bridge the gap. And then you'd be ready to go into Livewire after that. So hopefully the fans of the band would like that, and because uh, I think it's uh, I think it was a I think it worked out really well. And you don't have to be a, a Doctor No fan to, to to dig the story either. So, so Livewire is ready uh, April fourteenth. Is it April fourteenth? Uh, the uh, the pre order link is already at world famous Amazon. Dot com where the world stops for books, and uh, boy, you've got that one down. <laughs> and tampons, and uh, <laughs> honey, can you give me that new Kyle Toucher book? Oh yeah, well wait, you know what? I need some OB tampon. Yeah, and the uh, so that'll be available there, and uh, and Life Returns will be a freebie, and because uh, uh, remember the first hit's free, right? But you got to pay for the, you know. The dime bag's free, but you got to pay for the ounce. <laughs> and, um, that's the idea behind that. So that's April 14th. I don't know what day of the week that is. And I'm really excited about it because it's, I'm as excited about Livewire coming out or having even, you know, telling Crystal Lake's asking me to publish the book as I was when we were kids and a record label was interested in our, you know, our garage band, essentially. You know, yeah. it's the same thing. You know, I'm just older, so I don't freak out as much. Yeah. Well, because it, it's just timing. You, um, how how have you adapted to the uh, this whole modern, you know, internet and and social media and all that stuff? Are you are you widely available? Are you all over the place? Or are you kind of hidden? Well, you know, I mean, I have a uh, you know the website's about to go live, and I'm on Twitter under my name, Kyle Tausch, or Twitter. So if anybody's interested in me promoting myself, that's the place to go. And I promote a lot of the other people that are, that are doing the shallow waters competitions on uh, Crystal Lake, which is everybody who does 1,500-word stories every month on a theme. And there have been some really good writers in there, so we all contribute on that, and that's really fun. Uh, Facebook, who really cares, 
And um, well, there are baby boomers on Facebook. I guess so. I'm probably buy books. I'm technically yeah. one of them. I probably should be more uh, visible there, I suppose. And uh, things are, you know, I still have a job that takes 10, 11 hours of my day. Yeah. You know? oh, so, well, you know, man. a lot of, you know, I'm not just not sitting there living the life of Riley because I have a novel out. You know, it's still, yeah. uh, you know, I'm still on the box doing shots of jets and tanks and all that kind of stuff, you know, during the day. So it's, you know, you have to schedule your time, not schedule, but you got to squeeze the time in when you can to write. Right. So I get up before dawn, sometimes right in the morning. You know, or stay up late, it depends, you know. Yeah, before you mop the urine. Before I mop urine and, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dig ditches, you know. <laughs> you, so, I can have a ta- so I can have a taste of my 20s. Do, yeah, do you, have, do you have to be in a certain mood when you write? Or do, do, can you just turn <sighs> on? You can just like... Sometimes okay. it's, hard to, it's hard to turn on if you're, you know, you're distracted by other things, you know. If you're, you know, if your head's in something else. You know, if you have a complex shot that I've been doing all day or chasing deadlines and stuff, sometimes I get too frazzled. And if, but if I can eke up here at, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night and maybe punch out a, even 90 minutes or two hours, even if it's just editing, you know, sometimes after you relax and you're, and you can get into it, you know, time just like that, like we were saying about a good book. If you're in your own writing and time really goes by, then you know you're in the zone. Right. You know, I think that's a great indicator of almost anything. If you lose track of time and something, you're in the zone one way or another. You know, yeah, right. I don't care if you're on a sailboat or you know driving down Mulholland in a nice set of wheels or whatever it is. You know, um, there's probably cooks who get like that. You know, and um, so it can't happen. It's just finding the time and uh, and not using it as an excuse that you can't find the time. Right. Right. Yeah, it was great during all that COVID nonsense because I could just hours and hours a day. Sometimes I do two sessions a day, you know, going through a lot of cigars, but uh, it was awesome, you know, and it really helped get the engine restarted. Right. So instead of sitting down after not writing anything for 15 years and go, well, I'll do a couple of short stories, I wrote a 105,000 word novel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. It worked. It worked. It yeah, was... and then I wrote Livewire after that. Yeah. And uh, so that novel's been to an editor, and uh, we're, you know, that's in revision. So, uh, so hopefully, Livewire is what, 80,000? And Livewire, I think, you know, I have the manuscript up, is 82.8. 82.8. Yeah. Okay. So I think, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to translate to, uh, you know, number of pages or whatever, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's just in the pocket for. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe about the length of misery, maybe something like that. Yeah, that's a good. It's a good size. I think it's a good. Yeah, and first thing out of the gate, I'm not going to slam anybody with. Here's a thousand books of me rambling. Yeah, you know, you can listen to this if you want to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it gets to be too much. Yeah, so you keep it short and sweet. Keep it action packed. Keep it fun. You know, and then when the horror does happen, it's whoa. You know, and uh, you just go on a nice hairy ride together. You know. It's like going on a, you know, oh, it's a roller coaster. But, I mean, it's just like going on a really hairy ride together. And then you get out of it and you realize you had a great time. That's the goal. But it sounds like you also said that there's uh, uh, relationships involved. So there, mm-hmm. anyone that's into that, they're going to uh, get hooked with some of these characters that you have? Yeah, you know, because there's just, you know, one of the characters is just is guilt-ridden because his, his son could have been a baseball star. He talked him into joining the the 
Marines. He ended up getting killed in the Beirut bombing back in 1983. His wife never let him hear the end of that. So, you know. Of course. Yeah. So the, there's that father's knows best moment, you know. And uh, so that's one example of just the, the, the severity of the uh, the relationship examination that's going on in, with some of the characters there. But, of course, now because it's also brought forth by the signal, you know, there's also manifestations of it, you know, in the uh, in the real world. Gets a little hairy when you start seeing your wife in her coffin while you're in a shed trying to start a generator. To mop the urine. Well, probably, yes. <laughs> Standing next to the Serpy machine. Yeah. Well, well. You know, rough nights in a mini Martin t- in, uh, in New Mexico in 1993. Well, you never know. Well, Kyle, right. it's, it's certainly been interesting. So now the book will be out the 14th, you said, and of course. Livewire will be out April 14th, and I hope to have uh, Life Returns. It's uh, a little hard teaser predecessor out, hopefully by the 1st of April. That's the goal. Fantastic. And, uh, and possibly even earlier, and that will be available at kyletoucher.com or kyletoucher.monster, which redirects. And uh, world-famous Twitter is just my name, K-Y-L-E-T-O-U-C-H-E-R. But uh, Live Wire, I just I, I thank you guys for uh, giving me the time to babble about it. And yeah. I uh, hope it turns out to be a fun sci-fi horror romp that it's intended to be. I'm sure it is. Yeah. And you know, keep your eye out for the uh, for the ice skating dance number in the middle of the book because it's a nice little break from the tension. <laughs> Fantastic! Oh yeah! <laughs> wow! Yeah. I appreciate. It. Yeah. Well, the beauty of writing horror is that the fact that there's really no restrictions that you can just you know it's an open field as long as it's plausible. Right. You know, no matter how crazy it gets, as long as it's possible. Well, everyone, look for Live Wire. Of course, we'll have that up on the website as well, so people can find it with one click. So, Mr. Kyle Voucher. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for being here. Nice being with you, Kyle. Yeah, great. Thanks, fellas. I really appreciate it, and thanks for uh, taking the time. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.